0: Welcome to a Teaching Council Myth Busting special where I talk to Council Lead Advisor Innovation and Collaboration Christina Thornley and Jane Lee, Manager National Projects from the Education Review Office, to debunk some of the misconceptions about the appraisal process for teachers. Us Chris, why it's important for the council to talk about some of the misunderstandings we're hearing from parts of the profession about appraisal?
1: Well, I think um, from the council's point of view, we're really keen that appraisal is something that's beneficial to teachers, their students, their early childhood service, their kura, their school, to everybody involved. But sometimes the messages that we hear back about appraisal put an emphasis on compliance as opposed to the potential growth and development. And whilst the Council certainly needs to know that people are meeting our standards and our were in their practice, we don't want it to be something that has a kind of compliance focus or an accountability focus um, predominantly. We want it to be about learning and growth and development.
0: Chris, you're a former teacher yourself. Can you tell me briefly about your role at the Council in strengthening appraisal?
1: Well, I lead the um, project, really, around strengthening appraisal, but I do this with lots of other people, facilitators, uh, teachers with whom we collaborate, and, of course, um, my colleagues across the council. The focus is on professional learning, and so we've had an extensive workshop programme in Māori medium and English medium settings, and um, that's been an opportunity for us to learn with and from teachers as we kind of figure out what's the best way for schools and centres and services and kura to um, undertake appraisal and to think about our standards. Um, Once we've been doing the workshops we develop website resources so things like webinars for people who can't um, access the workshops themselves or who prefer not to, print resources and such like so that people can engage with the materials at their own leisure. So it's a professional
2: learning focus.
0: Of course we also have Jane Lee from Aero. Kia to Jane. Can you tell us why Aero is at the table with the council today?
2: Aero is at the table today because we work closely with the teaching council to support them in undertaking audits. So in January 2015 the teaching council contracted ERO to undertake Audits uh, in schools and early learning services for at least ten percent of those practising certificates that were issued in any one year.
0: Great, and and we'll touch near the end. We'll probably touch a bit more on how the two organisations work together. But let's first talk about renewing of practising certificates. So teachers need to have been involved in an appraisal process using the standards for the teaching profession for the renewal of a practising certificate. Chris, is that what this is all about? Is it about getting appraisal done for the council to prove that teachers are meeting the standard?
1: Well, the council does hold a responsibility for appraisal, but the responsibility sort of sits more widely across three groups. Um, The State Sector Act of 1988 has a requirement in that for the appraisal of teachers, and then the Education Act says that the council must ensure that um, practising certificates, like the issue and renewal of those, has to be based on appraisal by professional leaders that's of a consistent and reasonable standard. So that's why the council provides professional learning um, to support schools and centres and services to sort of strengthen their appraisal processes, but also to make sure that people understand our standards. So additionally to the council, then boards or professional leaders, including principals, tumuākī managers, they've got the responsibility for ensuring that there's an effective appraisal process in place at their place for all of the people who um, will be appraised. And then finally, there's a responsibility that sits with all teachers and professional leaders holding practising certificates that they actually participate in that process. So it's a shared responsibility, really, to meet the legal requirements. But we agree with the things that teachers tell us about the potential benefits of appraisal and what appraisal should look like um, when it's strong and effective. And so it becomes an opportunity for people to reflect on their practice, but really to think deeply about the relationship between what they do, the outcomes for their learners, outcomes of well-being, learning, achievement, outcomes for their colleagues, and then the standards. So it's sort of this three-part interrogation, if you like, of how does what I do impact on others and how does that fit with the standards? But more than that, how can the standards support me to do my work in a way that's more effective? So appraisal has um, an evidence base to it, which is why people talk about evidence, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more later. But it also has this strong conversation component because Whenever people talk about appraisal, they talk about the value of the relationship and the dialogue with the appraisee and appraiser, and often about that being a two-way relationship where both people are growing and learning and thinking about practice.
0: What about then teachers who are listening and saying, well, me or my colleagues, they're fantastic teachers, they're great teachers, actually, they excel. Jane, can you tell me then, what are the benefits of appraisal for teachers who are expert teachers, no matter where they are in their career?
2: I think every teacher is improvement focused and appraisal is part of the process of improvement. So it's allowing them to think deeply about their practice and to have those ongoing conversations with other professional colleagues in relation to improving their practice and improving learning outcomes for children. It's also allowing them to, to lead in that space of appraisal as well, so it's, you might be the expert teacher, but it's also having the opportunity to take some of that that learning and expertise that you have, and sharing that across the appraisal space with other teachers.
0: So what I'm hearing is this isn't this isn't just about an individual going down their pathway. It sounds like a very collaborative affair.
2: Absolutely, we'd see it as a collaborative affair because because what Aero does look at is how does the appraisal. Um, within this the service or the school supports teaching and learning across the school and not just merely for individuals. So we're looking at the practices that supports that reduction in, in disparity and supporting that equity and excellence. The other thing about that that's interesting to me um, is in the workshops, we talk about
1: our code, Matatika and ask people what it actually means to be a member of a profession. And in every workshop, People talk about as a teacher, we want to grow, learn, and that the students and young people and children that we work with every year are different from those in the past. And we always have things in our practice that challenge us or that we can see that we could do differently. Um, It's about adaptive expertise. And so appraisal, if you have the focus as Jane described it, um, and it's rich in conversation, that's evidence-based, it has the potential to support all of us at any point of our career.
0: So in terms of meeting the intentions that it's set out to meet, people are probably thinking, okay, what about evidence? How am I proving how I'm doing in terms of appraisal? So we hear comments all the time from teachers who think they need to collect, they need to keep, they need to show boxes and folders of evidence and you have these pictures of them lugging this, this stuff around with them. Where's the truth in this understanding of the role in evidence of appraisal? So
1: we're trying to minimise the focus on gathering of evidence, to be thinking about the analysis, interpretation, understanding of evidence. Um, so that's one aspect of it. But we also see evidence in two ways. So one is that as the teacher, I need evidence that I participated in a system. And people haven't always understood that, but you can hear that from Jane, that that's what we're collectively looking for. So have I been a participant? Do I have some observations, for example? Um, Do I have some notes from conversations? Um, Have I been part of a process that has been set up in our place by our professional leaders? And once I have that, then the evidence that I have that shows I meet the standards has a bit more strength, if you like, because I'm saying this shows that I demonstrate the standards and it's been affirmed through my participation in the process. So the document that we refer to as the quality practice template, where we talk about what the standards look like in your place and what the naturally occurring evidence would be, is something that can replace a collection of evidence. So if you have that in place, it may be that you decide you still want your teachers to collect and analyse the evidence of the standards as they play out at your place. Or it may be that you say, we know this is an existence, we know you've got it in its naturally occurring place and now the evidence that you put together to discuss in appraisal conversations could be more about your work around your goals or an example of important um, and significant practice and learning for you or could be focused on inquiry and we've got a document called thinking about evidence putting together a folder or portfolio that calls out those options um, and explains it because we really do not want people with big boxes full of evidence but we do want people to collect or gather evidence that links to their um, goal work or their inquiry or an example of their practice or some aspect that they can have a strong conversation with their appraiser about rather than just a collection of things that are unrelated.
2: And just adding to that, we would look at how are you using that information and that evidence to improve your teaching at, at the school level and also maybe at the syndicate or um, department level, and also at, at the um, leadership level. So it's bringing all that information together and saying well, actually what's happening in this place and how are you responding to that at, at the various levels. If you're going to take a key word away today, it would be around alignment, ensuring that there is a clear, clear line of sight between what it is, what's happening and what's trying to be achieved and what's the outcome of that. So I think the word alignment is the key word of today from our perspective. I
0: don't want to labour the point about evidence, but if, for example, if I was a new teacher and I said, what might my evidence look like by the end of term one in my first appraisal conversation?
1: So that's a great question because um, when we talk about induction and mentoring programs, which provisionally certificated teachers are involved in, we see that they will be somewhat like the appraisal process. So they're not going to look completely different, but there would be more observations, there would be more conversations within them, and it would all be wrapped around with a a stronger mentoring focus. A lot of people say that as mentors, they sit down with the mentee or the provisionally certificated teacher and look at the quality practice template and then say, now what would this look like for you in your practice and what kind of naturally occurring evidence have you got? So a lot of them will have um, amassed evidence that sits closely to the quality practice template or each of the six standards rather than something more global like goals and they've said that there's greater comfort because they can see their growth and development and thinking around the individual standards.
0: Is that evidence though something tangible that I bring in to show or is it just some information that I've written down? We
1: do have some examples in terms of what evidence around a goal or inquiry would look like. So you'd have notes from student voice, you'd have um, your planning. You would have examples of your practice, the learning of the students, the piece of policy that helped you to think about um, why you took this particular approach or the research that you'd read. You'd have the feedback of the observations. You'd have um, readings that you had done, not the whole reading, but maybe a photograph of a really key piece of it. You'd have notes from the last conversations that you had with your mentor, You would have maybe some things that you'd read online. You might have a piece from the curriculum, but you would have um, a pretty heavy emphasis on evidence that showed how the students were engaged, what their learning was like, what their achievement was like, and the same for children in early childhood settings. Mm -hmm. So it's really about the evidence that's going to help you understand the relationship between your teaching, the outcomes for the learners,
2: and then the standards. And I think one of the myths around when we undertake review is that we are looking for all of that and it has to be in a nice folder. We acknowledge that that information can be sitting in teachers planning, it can be sitting in strategic planning, it can be sitting in reflection. So what we would suggest is that you articulate where it is, so that we can have those conversations. Because sometimes it's a matter of talking past each other. So just being really aware to say, "Oh, this is where this sits, and this is how it um, links back to some of the appraisal or, or, or standards." So we, and whilst um, we talk about that in the
1: workshops, we also encourage people to have um, put into a separate place the evidence that really that they would want to bring to their appraisal conversations so that they have ready access to it. So it's kind of exactly as Jane said, in its naturally occurring place, but also some yeah. things amassed to be able to discuss. Because your appraiser is going to be the person who really can help you have a dialogue around
2: understanding what's going on in your practice. It's about curating it in a way yeah. that it's easy accessible, but also being able to articulate in a wider point of view of where the links are and how they're made.
1: There's one more piece of evidence. Should I talk about this? Yes, please. So I guess it's a piece of evidence that you've engaged in a system, and it's some kind of a summary report, so that annually each teacher would have a document that said, and this is the must-have, whether or not they actually meet the standards. And so sometimes in the past people have had a summary report that says that they've done a great job, Um, outlines all of the innovations that they've undertaken, the success of these students, all sorts of things, but doesn't actually call out whether or not they meet the standards. And that's really problematic and one of the root causes of people feeling like they have to amass a lot of evidence and hold it for three years because they're worried if I go to a new school or a new service, how will my professional leader know that I meet the standards in the past? So the summary document, and we've got examples of sort of templates of that, but people are increasingly um, developing their own. That gives me the assurance that I met the standards in each of those years and um, that my professional leader has seen this evidence that was discussed and then I have this summary report. And the summary report also shows that the um, professional leader has put in place a system that I've engaged in
0: I want to talk about the responsibility of teachers as professionals to self-examine the effectiveness of their teaching practice, which is part of appraisal. How about inquiry? Is it correct that every teacher must engage in inquiry?
1: No, and that's definitely one of the myths that um, we have been working on. There's certainly a standard that says in your professional learning that you use inquiry. So definitely um, you use inquiry, collaborative problem-solving professional learning to improve professional capability to impact on the learning and achievement of all learners. That's true, but we do not have to have an inquiry as the centrepiece of your appraisal documentation. A lot of people choose to do that because they're undertaking inquiry in their place um, to promote teacher learning, better outcomes for learners, but they do not have to do that. So some people say we're going to have goals as the centrepiece of our appraisal, other people say we're going to have some significant examples of practice, other people say we're going to have the six individual standards and each teacher will talk about or be thinking about evidence in relation to those. If you're going to undertake inquiry as the main piece of your appraisal work we would expect that you would have collectively done the quality practice template or the work around what does the do each individual standards look like, and what does the practice look like, because I could have a great inquiry on a really narrow topic, and that inquiry could show that I do um, touch on all of the standards, and indeed we would hope it would, but my professional relationships might only be being examined or discussed by me in relation to my inquiry, as opposed to across all of my work or my commitment to Tiriti or Waitangi might be only evident in the inquiry, but not across all of my practice. So the quality practice template is the breadth of teacher practice in relation to the standards An inquiry or goal work or whatever else you choose as the centerpiece is sort of more the depth.
0: I think it's really important to go back to the idea of ERO and the council working together. And I've had a professional leader myself come to me at a conference saying, We're going through the review process with Aero, but I'm a bit confused about how the audit process fits in with that. So Jane, can you tell us uh, about the audit process, just briefly, and how it fits or it doesn't fit with
2: reviews? Well, firstly, let's talk about um, how it fits with reviews. We see an integral part of reviews because prior to the contract, uh, review officers would have always looked at the appraisal process. Uh, within a service or school, uh, because it's one of the levers that um, drives up best practice in teaching. So we we've, would have we've always looked at that. The audit is a, a discretionary piece of work that we do that is also integrated into the review so it doesn't sit out there separately um, because what we would be doing as part of our review process is that we we look at the assurance board where you um, assurance statement where you attest to uh, appraisal and then we look at your policies and procedures in relation to um, how is appraisal being enacted and then we'd look at um, some of those samples of teachers appraisals and and um, the evidence that they're collecting, not the primary evidence, we're looking at the summary and all of those sorts of um, key pieces. What we're seeing is that when you talk about the processes, that more schools and services meet the requirements, and we see them as satisfactory audits. So you can see that there is um, good practice happening out there, and it's basically up to the um, services to decide mm. what that looks like and what and how that's enacted in the, in their centre, really. And we can't come back to that enough because from our point of view, there is the myth that we seem to have this ideal appraisal in, in mind and that, that's what we're looking for. What we're looking for is how is it enacted in here and how do you monitor that it's being effective and it's having the outcomes that you desire. So it's very much about what what do you do in your place and how do you show and how do you know.
0: And what information is then reported to Council?
2: So when the information comes to the Council,
1: um, we're able to look at it in terms of thinking about the planning for our upcoming programme of workshops and professional learning resources. Um, we look at the content. So what is it um, that schools and services are um, are doing really, really well in relation to our aspirations for appraisal? Um, And what is it that um, might still benefit from strengthening? So it helps us to design the um, content of the workshops. It also helps us to design resources. I would think that's probably one of the um, most prevalent areas. What are we going to put up on the website for people to access? And also helps us with our advertising and our reach program so that we're looking at Um, you know, have we actually done enough workshops in that particular area, did we advertise it well enough so that um, people in those areas know that the um, workshops are available or that the resources are available.
0: If I'm a teacher and I hear the word audit I think this is about compliance but what I'm hearing very clearly that this is actually about informing continuous improvement for the profession.
1: I think it's about strengthening appraisal in order that appraisal can meet the aspirations of teachers because I never fail to be surprised when in the workshops we ask people what are the characteristics of effective appraisal and who could reap the benefits and we always chart that up and the board becomes absolutely full and the number of people that they see as potential beneficiaries of an effective appraisal system is um, astonishing to me and then My comment is always, so do you have the things in your system that are going to ensure these people get the benefits? And the secondary comment is, you have great aspirations for what appraisal could potentially do. And I think for as long as we as a profession believe in the potential of appraisal, then as a council we want to be working on how do we actually have an appraisal system in every school, service, centre, setting that's going to maximise the benefits for teachers and learners and all of the people that teachers believe should benefit.
0: Chris and Jane, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Teaching Today. Is there anything you'd like to have myth busted? Share your views about this podcast and any other areas of teaching or the Council's work that you'd like to demystify.